This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. Good morning, everyone. I'm, I hope everybody is doing fine. And sorry I kept you waiting. I had to finish my work at 10 in Burnaby. Then I drove all the way to the Oak Ridge Senior Center, and it took me more than half an hour to be here because of the traffic. So sorry about that. Uh, first of all, I would like to acknowledge that we are all at unceded coastalist territories. Um, it's a great opportunity for me, and it's a great honor for me that the BC Humanist Association has uh, given me an opportunity to speak to share my story with you. Um, I would like to introduce myself um, as an atheist. I, I don't believe in God, and I keep telling my, uh, my children that it's the man who created the God and not the other way around. So that is one thing. But today I'm more concerned about the growing threat of religious fanaticism, not only um, in India, but anywhere else. Um, and if, if you just want to, um, not just religious fanatism, but bigotry in any form, is uh, the way it's growing, it's really very scary these days. So we have to focus on that. Now, to be an atheist is something important. When you are an atheist, when you are detached with those kind of emotions, then you try to take things, uh, see things more critically. So that is important, but that's my conviction. I don't want to impose it on anyone. I don't want to impose it on, on my family members. So I keep telling my kids that well, this is my belief, that there is no God, and it's the man who created the God. But if you want to explore religion, I, I'm not going to put restriction on you. But I will be more concerned if you are walking into the territory of the, uh, what we say, fundamentalist forces. Because right now, we have to see what exactly is happening around us. And I would like to talk more about India because I was born there raised there, so uh, I'm more familiar with the situation in that country, and I hope you understand it. So in India, what, what is happening right now, we have a government uh, which, which wants to transform India into a Hindu theocracy. Although India is a secular democracy, and the constitution of India guarantees religious freedom and equality, but we have a government which wants to turn India into a Hindu state. And what is happening, uh, the, uh, the ruling Hindu nationalist BJP, uh, which it has really emboldened the Hindu extremists. They are terrorizing Muslims, Christians, and other minorities, uh, Adivasis or the tribals, and they are trying to impose their version of Hinduism on everyone. So Muslims are repeatedly being uh, targeted uh, for eating beef. And in some cases, they are not even eating beef, but uh, it's just presumed that because they are Muslims, so they must be cow eaters. So they are being thrashed and cow vigilantes are going around terrorizing people. So in this kind of situation, I'm really um, forced to believe that we need more moderate voices to fight, uh, fight against BJP. I mean, we need a broader united coalition, which doesn't only include atheists, but also the people who are religious, but they are not fundamentalists. So we need those kind of allies as well. And one example is uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi was a practicing Hindu. Probably you are all aware of Gandhi. He was assassinated in 1948 by the Hindu fundamentalists because he was opposing the, the partition of India on religious lines. As you know, India and Pakistan used to be one country before 47. But in 47, the two nations were divided on religious lines. So he was opposing it. And that was the reason why the Hindu extremists killed him because they thought that he's a big roadblock. And he was trying to educate Hindus about the threat of a Hindu nation. Although he was a devout Hindu, practicing Hindu, he believed in casteism, he believed in orthodox brand of Hinduism, but he was not uh, willing to, uh, to go along with the fundamentalists. So that was the reason why he was assassinated. Today, the people who killed him are running the country. The RSS, the Rashtriya Swayam Sivak Sangh, which is the ultra-nationalist Hindu organization of which BJP is a part. That was the one which was responsible for his assassination. 
So ever since they have come to power, they are trying to glorify his assassins. They are trying to, uh, what we say, uh, rewrite the history from a more Hindu nationalist perspective. So these things are creating a lot of problems. In this kind of fight, we need to, we need to uh, make a broader coalition against those kind of forces. And what I personally feel, despite being an atheist, sometimes atheism can become a roadblock when you are stopping a dialogue with all the people just because of their religious belief. We cannot assume that all the religious people are fundamentalists. So the way bigotry is growing, Islamic Jihad is posing a threat to the society, we need more moderate voices along, uh, I mean, on our side so that we can counter them. And to counter them, it's very necessary to have a dialogue with people who are religious, although they are not atheists, but not fundamentalists. So we have to find out allies in this world. So more than the atheism, I, I just want to talk about the way religious fanaticism is growing and how we need to outreach people who are not atheists, but who can be our allies against uh, these enemies of the society. So today I, I've come to share those kind of thoughts with you, and I hope uh, uh, people would like to listen more. And I will be happy to have a conversation rather than just a, a, what we say monologue here. So if somebody wants to raise a question in the meantime or wants to uh, do a back and forth discussion, I'm open to do it. Mentioned uh, Madras. What is a Madras? Did you say Madras? Mad M-A-D-R-A-S? Madras. City. It's a city? Oh. Madras. 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 Oh, I, yeah. I passed through some sort of school. Hmm. Um, so, is there a problem with the, um, the teaching that's happening in the Hindu um, schools, perhaps? Or are they, are they teaching fundamentalist um, Hindu views? You know, it's very unfortunate. People know about Gandhi, but generally nobody talks about how he died. He was murdered, and he was murdered by Hindu fundamentalists. But there is a general silence about it in the entire world. And that's why people are not recognizing the way Hindu extremism is growing in India right now under Narendra Modi. We are mostly talking about Islamic Jihad because we are all at some level consumed by Islamophobia. So we are unwilling to see the other uh, possible, uh, what we say, uh, the enemies to the peace and um, harmony in the world. And RSS is one of, one of those groups, which is promoting the idea of Hindu theocracy. So they have their own special schools, where they try to poison young minds. And their teaching style is no different from what we often hear about the Islamic Jihad and uh, madrasas in Afghanistan or anywhere else. So it's, it's the same narrative. That, that was my concern. I hope I answered your question. Yeah. They just had elections in India, and I was curious what was the initials of the party that you're talking about that was posing the problem. Did they have, like, are they the NPR or something? BJP. BJP, yeah. What is it called? It's called Bharatiya Janta Party, BJP. BJP. BJP, yeah. BJP is a political wing of RSS. Rashtriya Swayam Sevak Sangh. RSS, yeah. RSS, that are the extremists. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And did they do well in the last election? Yeah, they, you know, recently there were some elections in different provinces, yeah. including Uttar Pradesh, which is a very huge province. Yeah. So they actually had a sweep. They so, they, yeah, they go, virtually got the whole province. They, they got, uh, I mean, they won with a brute majority. And they were indulging in all kind of uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric before this election. So, which is also very scary. The kind of card Donald Trump played in U.S. and he got elected is no different from what we are seeing in Uttar Pradesh. Swami Ritayanath, who is a practicing seer and who is known for his orthodox views and who has been spewing venom against Muslims, he, he has now been nominated as the chief minister of the state. Chief minister. It's like a premier of the province. Oh, really? Yeah, so one, no, there are other states as well, like Uttarakhand, like others. But Uttar Pradesh is very big, very huge. 
so it has a like lot of stake in the upper house and the lower house of the parliament so yes definitely there is no question about it right now they are in control of the country but the thing is they have some challenges in the upper house of the indian parliament and if they continue to win provincial elections uh, they will going to increase they are going to increase the number in the upper house then it can it will becomes easier for them to change the constitution of india and once they change the constitution they can turn a secular india into a hindu state it becomes easier for them so that's why all the progressive forces all the secular forces are trying to uh, defeat them in different provincial elections but the situation is that they are playing the divisive card all the time and they are getting uh, elected that is something to worry about by playing the divisive card um, how are they doing that like they try to polarize uh, different communities on religious lines okay. i give you one example only recently uh, some people from the so called untouchable community dalits they wanted to see the chief minister of uttar pradesh swami dityanath so they wanted to see him so he was they were advised by an official not by a politician but but by an administrator that go and clean yourself go and wash yourself with the soap and the use some uh, some scent to come and see the chief minister those kind of those kind of things were suggested to the so called untouchables and oppressed people by an administrator in that province so you can well imagine what kind of narrative they are trying to build so are they still supporting the fact that there's a caste system are they still no doubt about it because because rss believes in the caste system okay. but but the thing is mahatma gandhi also believed in caste system there is one complexity there <laughs> mahatma gandhi denounced untouchability which is a byproduct of caste system but he was in the he believed in caste system still whereas these people they can go to any length of uh, even justifying untouchability so that is more problematic caste structure itself is problematic there is no question about it i mean i don't support it there are others who who don't support it there are others who criticize gandhi for this very reason that why you support caste system which is the ill of the problem which is the root of the problem but it, the fact is that when gandhi opposed untouchability it, it was around then that they tried to kill him the first time there were around 5 or 7 attempts on mahatma gandhi's life so 6th or 7th one was like uh, fatal but the first at attack happened when he opposed untouchability thank you thank you very much uh, uh, rishi for coming in today i, I had two questions uh, i believe that the indian constitution correct me if i'm wrong please uh, the indian constitution says that it is illegal to criticize any religion hmm. uh, because they're worried about stirring up emotions as you can imagine so they're making the religion untouchable hmm. basically by that i think it's clause number 5 of the constitution i could be wrong please correct me if i am wrong uh so that's the first question if you could confirm that and secondly um there's a local um sikh activist here in um the lower mainland uh, gurjivan singh hmm. who um has recently been funneling weapons uh and training uh Sikh fundamentalists in uh, western india to attack indian government installations and they they've uh, arrested several gentlemen who recently I'm uh, just reading in the south asian post here in vancouver mm. um how they arrested uh, people over in india who were from vancouver uh, trained in terrorist uh, tactics and given weapons and they were caught at the border pushing weapons across the border i wonder if you could talk about what kind of local support Sikh fundamentalists have for financing and giving um uh giving support uh, moral and other support for violent overthrow of india hmm. if you could comment on those two things i'd very much appreciate it. thank you sure so let's begin with the second question because today morning i had a discussion on that issue on air with a senior journalist in india so the merits of the case are under doubt we are not 100% sure if the, that case holds any kind of merit because the people have been arrested and the way it happens in india people say some certain things under pressure in police custody and the, you try to make an evidence out of it the real admissible evidence is the one a statement that is made in the court that is technically considered as a, a real evidence but not the one um, that is uh, i mean uh, extracted in a police custody through duress or coercion or whatever so we are not 100% sure of Uh, that those people are really um, 
any kind of threat to the society or the country. Now, having said that, there is no question that Khalistani movement um, was very strong uh, during 80s and went until 90s, and that culminated into the Air India tragedy. We all know that. And they have been very active in Canada, too. But you know what? The movements depend on the situation at the grassroots. Back then, they had a tremendous support in Punjab within the Sikh community. That support is gone now. Nobody really cares about Khalistan. The people who want a separate Sikh state, whenever they try to um, get elected, they uh, run for office, they generally get defeated. And at times, they had to f face humiliating defeat. So the movement is gone. Our concern is that the way Hindu nationalist f uh, parties have become powerful in India, they are trying to create a narrative, discourse of nationalism, patriotism. They are trying to pick Muslims. They are trying to pick tribals. They are trying to pick uh, Sikhs as a target and uh, tell the world that, you know what, these people are posing threat to the society. These people are posing threat to the security and safety. But here is the thing, RSS, which believes to transform India into Hindu state, is much more dangerous because it is enjoying the state backing. It has its people in the government, in the army, in the intelligence, in the media. They pose much more serious threat to the society. Nobody looking into that. And here is one thing. If you go to the website of uh, India's National Investigation Agency, you will find a complete list of banned terror groups. And on that list, you will find Sikh groups, Muslim groups, uh, tribal groups. But there is not single Hindu group identified on that list. So it's clearly they are being selective. So everything they are saying is now under scrutiny and uh, under question. So we cannot 100% be sure that that's what it is. But the way Hindutva or Hindu extremists are being um, ignored, their activities are being ignored, and the way the minority extremist groups are being picked, there is some, some problem over there. So we have to uh, see that way. And secondly, you mentioned about the, uh, the criticism of religion. It's very unfortunate that in India, if we go into the history, we have wonderful examples of how uh, people used to be agnostic. And they were being agnostic openly. There was no fear. Have you, probably you have heard, heard about Charvak. And uh, Bhagat Singh, the Indian revolutionary, he was an atheist. He wrote an essay, Why I'm an Atheist, which, which can be uh, Googled easily. And that essay actually turned me into an atheist, I must admit. So Bhagat Singh emphasized on atheism. Uh, Dr. Ambedkar, the one who actually wrote Constitution of India, he, he always uh, encouraged people to adopt scientific temperament. And likewise, uh, there are other examples where uh, you can see how the atheism was very, very much part of the, the discourse in India. It was not a taboo. It is now being made a taboo. So any criticism of religion uh, should not be banished at all. If somebody is trying to banish it, it's only because they try to uh, use that kind of situation for political survival. It's all the, this, these kind of problems are being created by the ruling classes. Just they want to retain power, so they don't want you to raise any kind of question. Any question, any kind of question about religion, about spirituality. And now under Modi, this thing has really increased, this kind of threat. So they will never let you question um, uh, any, any Hindu icon or for that matter any value which is, not, which is out, outdated. So those are the problems we are facing right now. Modi. Yeah. Modi is the Prime Minister of India. Yeah, because uh, ju just for the record, he used to be the Chief Minister of Gujarat, the birthplace of Mahatma Gandhi, which is an irony. And in 2002, he actually engineered anti-Muslim pogrom. And that was the reason he was denied entry into US and some other countries. So when in 2014 he becomes the Prime Minister, he, he, it's, it becomes easier for him to travel everywhere. And that's why when he came to Vancouver in 2015, there was a huge protest outside the Ross Street Sikh Temple. Hmm. 
That's a very good question. And uh, mostly BJP has it bases in urban India. There is no question about it. The middle class business people were their main supporters. They were their main financiers. But off late, what is happening through RSS, they have been doing a lot of social engineering. They have created very strong base even in rural India. Even in tribal India, they are what I, I, I give you one interesting example how what they are doing. Like tribals in India, they follow their own cosmology, own spirituality. They have always been like independent in terms of their spiritual beliefs. So Christian missionaries have also been trying to appropriate them. And off late, the RSS is also trying to appropriate those people. But whereas they have their own independent uh, spiritual belief, they believe in nature, they feel connected. It's the same story as we hear about indigenous communities in Canada. There is no difference. So what is happening, RSS people, they go to the tribal communities. They tell them that, you know what, Jesus could not be your icon. Your icon is Hanuman, Lord Hanuman, the monkey god, because he's much more closer to your culture. So when they precipitate those kind of things, they naturally get some kind of recruitment. So once they get that recruitment, they try to use those communities against Muslims, against Christians. Because RSS believes in um, Hindu India, and in their opinion, Christianity and Islam, they are alien religions. For them, Sikhs and Buddhists, they are part of the Hindu fold, which is again a problem. A lot of Sikhs are resisting that. So what they are doing, uh, they are trying to do a lot of social engineering in villages, in tribal belts, in rural pockets of India. And that's why in Uttar Pradesh, we have this uh, government coming to power with the brute majority. It was unthinkable. It was unthinkable that BJP will ever be able to set its foot in villages. But now it's, it's not that way. They have really succeeded in making inroads into rural Indian villages. As far as the secular forces are concerned, uh, secular forces are also working hard at their own level in different parts of India. You cannot just say they exist here and not there. The only thing is in certain states where BJP has an absolute majority, where they have infiltrated their own people in academic bodies and they have tried to shun any kind of dialogue. So you feel that the, those secular voices have been marginalized and pushed around. But the secular forces are working hard to recapture their territory. But I don't know how long it's going to take. Because once you have to understand one thing. Congress has been in power for a number of years, which is supposedly a secular party. But they have also been indulging in uh, polarized, religious polarizing of the society for what we say short-term political gains. But that was because of their opportunism and pragmatism. RSS has an agenda. They want to turn India in, into a Hindu state. So you have to see that difference. So taking advantage of the political opportunism the Congress was doing, so they have been doing it more blatantly and openly. So when they infiltrate people uh, who believe in Hindu uh, nation, na nationalism, in army, in intelligence or universities, when they try to change a whole generation by poisoning young minds, it takes very long to dismantle that kind of thing. That is the problem. I hope I answered your questions. Hindu religion as being um, the negative force in no. politics in India, and I got that right, or am I confused? No, no, no. I'm not, I never said that Hindu religion is a negative force. For that matter, no religion is a negative force, but any religion can become a negative force if politicians want them to use it that way. Okay. That's what BJP is doing. So Mahatma Gandhi also was a practicing Hindu. Yes. But his Hinduism was different from the Hinduism of Narendra Modi. His Hinduism are more embracing, more inclusive, okay. whereas they have tried to create a discourse of exclusionism. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I just, one of the things you said I'd, I'd like to comment on further is the necessity for those of us secular, non-believers, atheists, to join with those of faith who are not fundamentalists. Hmm because it is a fight for all of us yeah. against the extremism. And I think that's an extremely important point that we should keep in mind that we need to work together with other people who are reasonable. Of course. No matter what their belief in God is, as long as not the fundamentalist. 
Of course. Fundamentalists are the danger, not the ordinary people. Definitely. No. Thank you very much. No problem. So that's why I like the name of the organization, BC Humanist Association. It's more inclusive. Like any religious person can also be humanist and reasonable. Not all the religious people are fundamentalists. So we, when we want to uh, defeat uh, big, uh, th these kind of forces like uh, Donald Trump, Narendra Modi or whoever, so we need more allies uh, who think passionately about the humanity, about the society. They are more inclusive in their, uh, in their um, what we say, outlook. We need those kind of allies rather than isolating ourselves as atheists and not having a dialogue with anyone. No, that's a very good question. Um, you see, I understand where you are coming from. The narrative of any religion can be problematic. Uh, 
for example if we talk about canada uh, residential schools was a problem created by the church and the state together we cannot deny it there is no question about it but today when the church is also trying to rethink that what wrong we did so there is a, there is a scope of some kind of uh, reexamination reinvestigation and dialogue that is also very important we cannot shun it by just saying you know what because uh, you did that and we are not going to listen to it anymore so it's all about interpretation i can give you one example like bhagavad gita is a hindu scripture and lot of people quote number of things from it but gita has some problems gita justifies caste system which is very brutal and inhuman but here is a the thing there is a guy uh, his name was hemant kharkare he was a very honest police officer in india and he was the one who smashed the hindu terror network and because of that he was hounded by the uh, bjp modi everyone he was uh, i mean given a lot of hard time what happened was uh, he got killed during a terror attack in mumbai but some people believe that it was a setup we don't know full answers but hemant karkare used to say that i am just doing my karma my duty and i got this uh, i i'm inclined to do that do my karma because i am a practicing hindu and i believe in gita gita tells me to do my duty do my karma so i am not going to distinguish between the hindu extremists and the muslim extremists being a police officer i have to deal with them equally so now in this kind of situation how can i just say you know what i don't want to listen to hemant karkare uh, he is quoting bhagavad gita which has problems so it's all about the larger narrative it's all about your own interpretation and the truth lies in between so when i'm saying some, something in moderation is more important because you cannot change the world overnight just by us going and telling people that you know what god never created the man it's the other way round nobody is going to listen to us so that is also very important because we have to we, these are bigger challenges in front of us islamic jihad um, bjp's hindu nationalism or sikh chauvinism here in canada or anywhere else so when we are dealing with that we have to find out some reasonable voices who are willing to have some dialogue and if we have dialogue with them we can isolate those fundamentalist forces the conversation on atheism and um, religion must must go on nobody is stopping it but my immediate concern is the way things are happening right now i cannot isolate people like hemant karkare i cannot isolate uh, people like sant harjan singh longowal who was a sikh saint who was murdered inside a sikh temple by the sikh fundamentalists although he was a practicing sikh baptized sikh his narrative on religion might have problem been problematic but he was standing up against these people who were who were like scaring hindus in punjab and he was killed inside a sikh temple so i cannot isolate those people for me they are also important allies because my immediate concern is to fight against people who are create, creating like a lot of hatred in the society in the name of faith in the name of religion in the name of spirituality and um, your second question was uh, about the society in india society in india is generally secular there is no question about it and that is the reason why bjp is taking a little bit longer in transforming india into hindu state so some kind of resistance coming from somewhere and they can see it it's very difficult for them to just uh, burn the constitution shred it into pieces just like that it's not going to happen pretty soon so they are taking their own time otherwise with that kind of brute majority they could have easily declared india as a hindu state so some kind of challenge is there it's not that society is completely has become uh, communal or completely uh, gone to the dogs that's not the case You just give me the power of the mic if he's too long in the loop. Um, so, a couple of things. Uh, I wanted to ask you about your local work here in this community, uh, in the Sikh and Hindu communities uh, here in the Lower Mainland, mm. in Vancouver. How are you received? Uh, what kind of connections have you made uh, what kind of 
uh, what kind of uh, projects are you working on, that kind of thing. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, you mentioned, you referenced the city of Mumbai. Mm. And uh, until 20 years ago, the name was Bombay. Mm. Perhaps you would care to tell the story of how the religious fundamentalists, under threat of violence, forced the name change. Thank you very much. Actually, you know what, um, that reminds me of a question he raised. I give you one very good example. Uh, it was around 2010. So we as media people, we went to cover an event in India. It was organized for the Indians in diaspora. So all, um, I mean, some key reporters and journalists were invited to cover the, that entire event. So we were taken to Mumbai or Bombay. And interestingly, what happened was, Mumbai was its official name, and the Bombay Stock Exchange still goes by the name Bombay Stock Exchange. So they were saying that we are not going to change it. Then I asked them that, what about uh, Hindu groups like Shiv Sena who are terrorizing people every other day? The, the, he was like saying that we don't care. We don't care at all. So it remains Bombay Stock Exchange. Despite the fact that the city's name has been officially changed, a number of people have adopted it, either on purpose or otherwise, Bombay Stock Exchange refused to change its name. So that shows that some kind of challenge is also coming. It's not that everybody is sleeping and letting them do whatever they want to do. So that is something very encouraging. And in Canada, uh, what is happening right now, uh, because of the growth of Hindu nationalism there, so even here in Canada, uh, the Hindu extremists, you can say, uh, have become emboldened. I can give you one uh, example. There is this guy in uh, Alberta. His name is Gagan Vidu. He is actually a supporter of the RSS. So he issued a threat to uh, Anna Hazare, who is an activist in India, uh, who is an anti-corruption crusader. So he was saying that I'm, I will be the next Nathuram, and I'm going to get this modern Gandhi. He said that openly on Facebook. But there was a complete silence about it. Complete silence. The mainstream media didn't bother even to cover it. Although it was a serious thing. As against this, another ordinary Sikh uh, preacher, who is a fundamentalist, he issued some kind of threats to Ujjal Dosanj. And that became a huge story. A huge story. And Premier of the British Columbia back then was Gordon Campbell. He, he declined to go to the Vaisakhi parade because of that. So you can see how things work. I mean, fundamentalism is bad, whether it's Hindu fundamentalism or Sikh fundamentalism or Muslim fundamentalism. You cannot just pick and choose and be selective. That is the problem here. And during uh, these elections, I, um, I just want to give you one more example. My wife recently got elected as MLA from Surrey Green Timbers. He's an NDP MLA. So when, thank you so much. So when she was going seeking votes, uh, so some temple people were questioning that, why don't you use uh, Rachina Kaur as your name instead of Singh? Kaur is a, uh, what we say, last name for the baptized Sikh women. Even if you are not baptized, generally it's assumed that a Sikh woman will be using Kaur as her last name, which means princess. So she was sort of reprimanded by a temple person. What happens is the way they try to uh, force these politicians, the elected officials, to tow their line, and sometimes they do buckle under their pressure, it creates a lot of problems. So you have to tell them that, you know what, I'm a public, I'll be public official, I'll be serving everyone in the constituency. So I'm not here to quote one religion or the other. But sometimes uh, when you are in politics, it becomes very difficult for you to say that. For me, it's very easy because I'm a broadcaster. I can say it. But for my wife, it will be very difficult, very challenging. And that, that is what is happening right now. It has become a trend for all the politicians to go to the Sikh temples, Hindu temples, and seek votes. In my personal opinion, the trend should be that you should go to the community directly. You don't have to go to the temples although they are community centers in a number of ways. But still, there are other ways to outreach people rather than going to them through the churches, mosques, temples, and gurdwaras. That's my personal take on this. Question. Um, so it's clear that it's to your advantage to be, if you're in the political realm, to, to advocate your support of, of uh, the religious community. But if you're just in private life, normal sort of person. Is there an advantage to be known to be Hindu in the workplace or a job prospects? 
Is there a personal advantage in that way? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I openly tell people that I, I don't have a religion. I was born in a Sikh family, that is one thing. I was born in a Sikh family, born and raised as a Sikh, but I gave up religion long time back. So I'm an atheist, everybody <laughs> knows it. But, um, but to get your question rightly, maybe the thing is that sometimes you get benefit, but in my case, I, I didn't get benefit of that kind. But for the population in India, how about that? Like, the individual, the individual person in India, you know, when they go for a job interview, hmm. is someone going to test them for their religious uh, position? Yeah, the problems are being created now by under uh, Modi government and sometimes what is happening in a cosmopolitan place like Bombay or Mumbai, when Kashmiri Muslims come there and they want to rent an accommodation, they will find it very difficult to find accommodation. So they will probably go and uh, look for a rented accommodation in a Muslim locality where they also feel safe, but they will never generally get a good response from the uh, uh, people who have houses in the Hindu areas. And that is actually happening in place like Mumbai, which is very cosmopolitan. Also happening in Delhi, which is the national capital of India. Kashmiri students are often harassed at universities and they don't uh, get a rented accommodation easily. So that problem is going on there. And same goes with the, with the jobs. Uh, there was another controversy under Modi government. They have a ministry called Ayush Ministry which deals with the Ayurveda. So they advertised some posts and they said only practicing Hindu can apply. There was a big controversy about it, very big controversy. So those kind of things are happening and we cannot deny it. And let's face it, that happens also in US and Canada. No, women have always been vulnerable in, uh, I mean, all the fundamentalists, right from Taliban to Hindu extremists to Sikh extremists, they have always been targeting women because women are always vulnerable, always the most easiest target for them. So they, they have one thing in common, all the fundamentalists. They will go after women after they are done with other enemies. It's, it's, it's something which is very common. Taliban have been targeting them. Sikh extremists have been targeting them. Christian fundamentalists are known for doing it. If under Mr. Modi, the attacks on women have increased. And they are twofold. One is that you try to impose some kind of values on them, and then you indulge in structural violence. And the other thing is if you are resist, you are obviously under attack. So now what are they doing? Um, they, they have created a force called Durga Vahini, a militant group of women. So they are trying to set a discourse that what kind of women they are looking for. The woman who is totally wedded to a life of domesticity, living in her uh, confines of the four walls, taking care of the kids and the family. And if she has a free time, she can come to these uh, um, militant groups, uh, training programs, and take some, some lessons in martial art and something like that. So they are the ones who are deciding what role women should have. Thinking about women, uh, I mean, thinking about assigning role to women according to your own mandate is also very problematic. It's, it's, a, it's nothing but a structural violence. That's the least I can say. And also, when the 2002 pogrom happened in Gujarat, when Modi was chief minister, the Hindu fundamentalists, they uh, indulged in mass rapings of the Muslim women. So you cannot say that, you know what, we are BJP, we, are, we care about our values, but what about, the, uh, what about the sanctity of women belonging to the other faith groups? You are violating it just like that. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I wanted to ask about the uh, public school system in India. Um, a 
what's a typical school day like? Do they have boys and girls in the same classes? Hmm. Uh, do they uh, have formal prayer or no prayer? Do they have mixed religions uh, in different communities going to the same public schools? Or are there a large and growing number of um, faith-based religious schools that individual communities uh, keep on their own and only allow uh, children of um, their own followers to attend? I wonder if you could talk about that school system. Thank you. No, fortunately, I studied throughout uh, in uh, public school. So we had a very secular environment. And uh, it wasn't a prayer which we used to do every morning. It was something like a, like a pledge. We all used to do and recite. And the language was very interesting. It wasn't uh, um, like addressing a god or something like that. It was more like a pledge where we are wo taking a vow to work for everyone in the community, in the society. So I would say it was more like a secularist prayer. It was not a, you cannot assign it to any particular religious group. And the boys and girls, they used to uh, uh, like share the classrooms. Uh, it was a co-ed system, and also um, we used to um, we used to be told about the all the different uh, religions through social sciences. But the interesting part is we were never told about atheism that much. That is very important. There should be a lesson in the school curriculum about atheism and its importance and significance. and trucking industry do sort of seclude themselves and even in the Surrey school district like growing up I see a lot of Hindus sort of sticking together and it happens with other classes too hmm. so my sort of question is how would one sort of um, bring themselves to include themselves in the Sikh community or in the Hindu community and encourage them to, to engage with others because there is this community and the community is a good thing because I see that they help each other out a lot. But maybe to encourage them to to reach out to other people in the in the community to sort of uh, bring them in and help them out the way that I see that it happening with the trucking and the construction industry, where they'll help uh, mm. they'll help bring these people, but to encourage uh, sort of a non seclusion of. Uh, is there any, do you have any ideas about that? Because I see it's a very close-knit community hmm. with the Hindus, especially in Surrey, North Delta area. And, uh, you know, for some, for some uh, other people, they might feel secluded from, from that. And sort of how would somebody go to sort of uh, engage or hmm. in, be included in that community or encourage them to include others? You know, that's a very good point. Uh, and there are some groups in the, in the community who are not like the Hindu groups or the Sikh groups. They are more like secular groups. And they always try to encompass all the South Asians. They, they always uh, represent themselves as the group that, that represents South Asian community. Uh, they, they don't identify themselves as the representatives of Sikhs or as Hindus. Of course, there are groups like World Sikh Organization, and there are some other Hindu groups as well, which are very ex exclusionist. But there are uh, progressive uh, groups in our community, including Indian Rationalist Society or Tarakshils. So they always try to embrace everyone. So whenever they organize some kind of event, they make it a point that everybody is included. And I give you one uh, good example. Like 100 years ago, when the community started coming here, and virtually there was no discrimination. And they jointly fought against uh, racism because racism was impacting all of them alike. Doesn't matter you were Hindu, Muslim, or Sikh, whatever. So they formed a group called United India League. And when the Khalsa uh, Diwan Society, they opened this uh, Gurdwara, which is, I mean, it used to be on West 2nd. This is the new building, the Raw Street. So they, they were very inclusive. What they were doing, they were do holding prayers at the upper level of the building 
beneath that they used to have a uh, political gathering where all the people coming from different faith, faith groups they used to get, uh, get together and discuss these issues that how we are not being allowed to bring our families we have been disfranchised how we need to fight back so the good things were happening 100 years ago around 80s and 90s when Sikh militancy was at, at its peak in Punjab and because of some unfortunate incidents in Punjab the division started coming in and Hindus and Sikhs tried to start started try to uh, identify themselves as distinct groups and this problem has been there ever since so I personally believe that we need to have more candid and honest conversation on these lines with the members of these communities Perso at personal level when I'm doing my radio shows I try to be inclusive there are other groups in our community who try to be inclusive that's the least we can do but you rightly pointed out at those um, the differences and some kind of tension and we cannot deny it yeah I have a question about uh totally ignorant about uh, the realities of uh, uh, India and Hinduism and everything. Um, but I assume that there is a census taken in India every few years. Hmm. That's correct. Um, it, do, does it indicate what a person's um, religious or non-belief affiliation is? Like, do we have any idea how many atheists, how many uh, Hindus, how many Sikhs, and so on and so forth live in India? For sure, I'm not 100% sure about the um, the number of atheists who live there, but generally, what is happening? Uh, uh, I think I left uh, I left in India in 2001, so I have never seen, I've never participated in the census myself during this time period. But I don't think that this during census they try to figure out uh, whether you are an atheist or not. They will just put you in a box, uh, the religion. Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, established religions are there. They, they have a list of the established religions, but they never try to identify you as an atheist. Maybe they can just uh, put you in a box which is called other. I don't know what other means. So other could be anything. So that, that's what is happening. So generally they go by the figures of the people who belong to the established religious groups. So very rarely it will happen in India where they will do a census on finding out who is atheist and who is non not, not an atheist. So they will have boxes in which you can say I'm a Sikh or a Hindu or a Muslim or maybe the other. So the figures are the Hindus are in majority. They are like 80%. 80% of the population um, believes in Hinduism and Sikhs merely form 2% of the population. And the uh, Muslims they are around 13 or 15. Christians are 4%. And Buddhists are zero point something. Although Buddhism was born in India, it's a shame that they are so less in number in India right now. Buddhists? Buddhists? Yeah, they do preach, yeah. Uh, they have some centers in India, like uh, some in Himachal Pradesh. One is very close to Varanasi. Uh, Varanasi is a very important city. It's a religious city. Uh, it's a it's known as the Hindu religious city of India and Mr. Modi is actually a member of parliament from there. So Sarnath is a, is a place which is very close to Varanasi. It's a, that is also an important center of uh, Buddhist community. So Buddhism is being practiced there but they are very small in number. Dalai and Lama. What's that? Dalai Lama yeah, he's in India. And uh, there is another controversy. The, Hin the Hindu uh, nationalists, they have always tried to appropriate Buddhism. They always try to describe Buddhism as a part of Hindu fold. So maybe that is the reason why we are not giving, maybe we are not giving, getting the exact number. But if you look at the census figures, they, they form a very small minority group. Absolutely, absolutely, you have every right to do it, but what is happening Whenever something like that happens, so the religious extremists are always there to uh, go after you. They will try to uh, intimidate you. They will try to muzzle your voice. So what is happening right now, uh, the BJP government may not be doing anything directly, but they have their own trolls in different communities. So they will go to the police and lodge a complaint that because somebody said something, so my religious feelings have been hurt. 
So there is there is a provision in the law under which you can charge a person that this guy said something which hurt uh, the religious sentiments. So th that is the problem. Whenever you try to do some kind of reasonable discussion, you can get arrested. Uh, you can uh, be even killed. But lawfully, you have every right to criticize religion. Uh, talking in terms of the law, you have every right to do it. But what they do, they have their own vigilantes out in the communities. They will go after you. They will get a complaint lodged and then you can be arrested. And recently, uh, some Hindu extremists have actually killed some rationalists in India. Uh, Narendra Dabolkar, then uh, uh, Gobind Pansare. Those, those people were raising voice against superstition and religious fanaticism. So they were actually murdered by uh, the assassins who were driving motorcycles and all that. So it's, it's a very dangerous situation with those people. It's not very easy. People do have to, um, I mean, uh, pay for their lives by saying all that. Although legally they, ha they, have, they are within the right to criticize religion. She has a question. She has a question. You know what, internet is a technology that can uh, uh, be used by anyone. I mean, uh, people who are atheists like me, they can also use that tool to effectively outreach number of people. And same way, fundamentalists are using, using that tool to uh, get more support. So it's a technology which can be used and be misused, depends uh, uh, how you see it. But definitely it is creating a lot of impact, especially the social media. The, yeah, especially the social media and Facebook. These days is extremely popular. What is happening right now under Narendra Modi because of this uh, undeclared censorship and a uh, lot of uh, pressure going on on the media not to question Hindu nationalism. So people are increasingly following what is being reported on social media. So social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, they are more, becoming more popular. And people generally try to use that platform to uh, share their stories and to listen to the stories of the others, which are not being generally covered by the mainstream media. So that way, it's an important tool. No, not much. If you can give me a little more detail, then I can probably uh, go in a conversation with you. What do you really want to know? Yeah, because he's one of these uh, Muslim figures in India. Hmm. And he's got, I think, a TV channel where he does his preaching in some like, uh, debates maybe with the other uh, like Christians and other like uh, hmm. If I'm not mistaken, you were talking to the guy who was maybe charged or his uh, charity was banned. Is the same guy? Yeah. No, but his charity was banned. So we, there are some good reasons that he was making some controversial statements. But that is one thing. The other, the other part of the story is the, the Hindu fundamentalists are also doing the same thing. RSS is also trying, trying to raise funds from outside, from places like Canada. But nobody is banning their charity. So there is complete selectivity somewhere. That is the problem. As far as his, uh, uh, you are saying that um, he can be an alternative, I'm not 100% sure about it because I have not been following his work completely. But if he is saying some uh, nasty things about other religions, you, you cannot uh, call that kind of person a reasonable voice. Reasonable voice is the one who is more inclusive, who is trying to take along everyone. 
and i give you one example there is uh, hindu uh, priest his name is swami pramod krishnan he openly criticizes modi and his brand of hinduism although he is a practicing hindu you can google about him he makes uh, speeches generally in hindi and he is uh, he believes in uh, the uh, what we say hindu muslim unity and he is talking morally about mostly about the uh, inclusion so if that kind of narrative is there we can always work along but if somebody is trying to uh, create divisions within the minority community we we cannot see that person as an alternative so i'm not sure well you know what that's a theological theological affair that's a theological affair let the theologist deal with it our our main concern is to isolate the fundamentalist forces and how do we achieve it that is more important for me so i am not a theologist i am not a practicing religious person so i'm least bothered about those theological discussions No, I hope that happens, but right now it's a it's a very bad situation. The way uh, Hinduism being is imposed, and not just Hinduism, a particular brand of Hinduism is being imposed by the the government. It's going to create more problems for us. And I wish uh, that uh, one day there are no religious divisions, no caste divisions, no color divisions. One day it's going to happen. One day is definitely going to happen. Religion won't have that much of interference in our everyday life. but the way it is happening the way it is being patronized by the government and the state that is going to create some problems uh, the india's foreign minister sushma swaraj had uh, uh, has been advocating for adopting bhagavad gita as a national text and you probably understand what national text means it means that we don't need the constitution of india bhagavad gita should be our national text and we should be following the entire nation should be forced to follow the principles of bhagavad gita so we do we want to go there absolutely not but if the government uh, tries to create that kind of discourse it is going to impact the population it's going to impact the the thinking abilities of the people so that is something very dangerous okay well, i have a talk we have room for one more question or comment and response kelly Or learn to become more kind human being should be a 
direction we should all have more, um, rather than specific to folk religion. Right. It's difficult to know how to be kind to people who are not being kind. So Definitely. How can we learn how to do that better? No, definitely, and uh, that way I feel some religious groups are doing very good work in terms of doing these, these uh, inter-religious uh, conversations. There are some good groups in our communities which are doing a very good job. I often uh, tell them that why don't you invite us as well? You need at least one atheist voice on the panel. So what kind of panel you are having? You are having people from different religious groups, but not a single atheist. So they always laugh it away, but that's not a point. The point is that conversation is very important which they are doing and their motive is to create a human bonding between all these different groups. And that is the crux of the story. And uh, because I grew up in a Sikh religion, these Sikhs, uh, they end their everyday prayer by saying uh, in Punjabi, Tere Pane Pala, which means uh, we pray to the Almighty, uh, uh, what we say, wellness of everyone on the universe. So it's like inclusive. Same goes for Hinduism. Hinduism also uh, emphasizes on um, the betterment of everyone. Like they, they always say that this entire <coughs> world is one family. This is what they say. Now what they say, what they mean is a different story, but that these kind of things are part of that narrative. So till, till the time that it is part of that narrative and we have some people who are reasonable, who respect it, we need to uh, take their help to outreach number of people in our communities and make the human bonding more stronger and meaningful. Thank you very much for being